Welcome to the Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement podcast with your host, Lorenzo Valdivia. This is a place where we discuss different factors that give law enforcement officers the ability to accomplish greater feats and tasks than they would without it. We will have unfiltered, candid conversations with those who have knowledge, know-how, and bring what they feel are these different types of variables to help keep our law enforcement on their top game. Enjoy today's show. Welcome to Force Multiplier for Law Enforcement. My name is Lorenzo Valdivia. Today we're talking with Larry Lindenman, retired from the Illinois State Police after 26 years of service. Sir, thank you for your service. Thank you. So Larry, after trolling the interstates for four years, Larry spent the remainder of his career in investigations, SWAT and narcotics investigations. Larry has an extensive background in Filipino martial arts, beginning his training in the 1980s. He is a Carlson Gracie Jr. black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Larry was an Illinois State Police SWAT squad leader, range officer, and he authored the Defensive Tactics Manual for the Illinois State Police. Larry worked with a majority of his career in violent crime investigations, narcotics, and was a director of the LCMEG, a covert Narcotics Investigation Multi-Agency Unit. He currently works for a regional direct as a regional director of operations for Clark International and the director of personal security for two high net worth clients. He splits his time between Illinois and Larry is a member of the Shiv Works Collective. Larry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching out. No, I appreciate you coming on. So we talked a little bit as you know, while we were waiting for uh, technology to catch up and, and talking on the side, can you tell us a little bit about what the Shivwork Collective is, what you do, and you know, we'll kind of get into this training. Sure. So I, I started in the state police in, in 1990, in the Illinois State Police in 1990. And at the time, I, I had practiced at a pretty high level Filipino martial arts. I trained with a guy named Danny Asano. Um, he was training partners with Bruce Lee. Um, a legend in the martial arts community, yeah. probably the legend in the martial arts community. If you were looking for one person, you know, I think Hickson would be another one. But, you know, Dan Asano is right up there. And, and I trained with him throughout the 80s and into the 90s, even as I was, uh, you know, went on the state police. So I had a pretty extensive background. I, I also trained in taekwondo prior to that. So I'd done martial arts pretty much my whole life. And when I went on the state police, you know, when I was in the academy, it's a six month long academy. Uh, one of the use is is defensive tactics, and like not intentionally, but I ended up breaking somebody's ribs <laughs> you know, through through a kicking shield. I ended up breaking somebody's ribs, and and I, I kind of believe pseudo intimidated, not intentionally, but pseudo intimidated the DT instructors. So when I had to do scenarios, they completely backed out. It was like I was the best at the escalation. <laughs> even though I probably sucked, <laughs> but, but I could hit hard. So it sort of, it sort of helped with that. Um, what I quickly found out though, as I progressed through my career and started to, to work, I worked in the Chicago area and moved into investigations and then, and then worked in a bunch of specialty units, including a SWAT team. And what I found out was what I was learning in, in martial arts really didn't translate well. It was better than having nothing, but it didn't really translate well to the streets. And as I started to kind of look at my own skill set, mm-hmm. I realized I did not have grappling. I, I Somebody was analyzing a grappling event. I think it was a police officer grappling event. And they were talking about... And, and I had a little grappling. I had shoot, shoot wrestling or shoot boxing, shoot wrestling. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't have like jujitsu. 
And, and then as these people were analyzing this thing and they were talking about covering the hips and the way the hips were moving, I, I, when I realized I had no idea what the hell they were saying, I, I immediately looked for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I found, I found some Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu near me. Uh, I was Carlson Gracie lineage, started to train Jiu-Jitsu, ended up fighting MMA. I think there's a video of it online. I fought a firefighter. (laughs) choked him out in the first round. So that was cool. I don't think you have any firefighters listening to your thing, but I, it was a Chicago firefighter. It was a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, I progressed through my Brazilian jiu-jitsu career. But at the same time, as I was looking for something, you know, I, it, interestingly enough, I got involved in CrossFit. And I this was early on before anybody even knew what CrossFit was. And I had a like a online relationship with Greg Glassman. Not relationship, but yeah, you know, I mean, we, we were we were friends <laughs> online, you know, and and he invited me to do the do the certification. I went out to to Santa Cruz at the time. I did the certification, and I ended up teaching. I ended up teaching a, a Filipino martial arts seminar there, and it was a charity event. And Glassman, the the owner, or the former owner of CrossFit, asked me, "Do you know this guy Craig Douglas? Have you ever heard of ShivWorks?" And I said, "Never heard." Of him. And he goes, "Yeah, I'm thinking about you know potentially bringing him on. I like." you know what he's doing. So I ended up doing a little research on ShivWorks. I started to get involved in that community. It was an online community called Total Protection Interactive, TPI. It's still around, but it's not what it, it's not like what it used to be. Right. I think it, it's morphed. But so I started to post on there and started to meet some people there. And the bottom line is, is that I developed a relationship <laughs> again, and not a relationship, <laughs> a friendship with Craig and, and about five other people and or four, Craig and four other people. And we were all training this multidisciplinary thing. I really didn't have the language for what I thought needed to happen. Craig did. And he sort of had a framework. And the way he developed that framework was he started to kind of explore these close quarter concepts, started to teach a class in it, had three or four students would drive all over the country. And now he teaches military special operations, police, you know, civilians. But he's done thousands and thousands of repetitions where people put on a fist helmet, uh, holster sim guns and fight. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's not a scenario. It's not, uh, you know, I, I, we're not huge fans of scenario-based training. I mean, we do like scenarios, but it's an evolution. And an evolution is there's no bad guy. There's no good guy. There's a goal, and just like in sports. So if my goal in jujitsu is to tap you out, my goal in this is to win this battle. So in other words, in a scenario, there's, there's, you got your cops and you got your, you've got your bad guys and your bad guys are cops and they know they want you to win. (laughs) So they're going to give up or it's going to work out well for you. The way we run it, not so much. You're going to get your shit pounded in and, and hopefully you learn from that. Hopefully you don't you know, need to find a safe space. And hopefully at some point <laughs> you learn from that situation right. and you decide, Hey man, I got to train more. Uh-huh. I got to get in better shape. So that's kind of where, and, and this has evolved and essentially what it's evolved into is self-defense using a wrestling base. There's a lot of terminology, a lot of things that are involved that are, that are, that right. are involved around it. But we and, and we could go into that. But that's basically where we're at now. So the Shivers Collective is this group of people, unfortunately diminished by one. William April was had his degree in psychology and worked in like cr- essentially criminal psychology, and he gave us a lot of the piece of what's the criminal thinking. You know, that's what cool. is he doing? And but unfortunately, last year he passed away. And so now it's Craig Douglas, kind of the de facto leader, Cecil Birch, 
Paul Sharp, me, and Chris Fry. And that would be the Shipverse Collector. We're teaching basically extremely complementary or similar material. With me, I'm the only one, you know, I had a training company, but in the real in reality, right now I have so much work that I'm doing that I don't, I'm not really going out there and trying to push training. So I work with Craig as part of the, as part of the Shivworks group. I actually have a recording with uh, Paul here soon. Paul Sharp? Yeah, Yeah, we were supposed to record right before this, but our schedules, we ended up having to reschedule. So we'll get him back on it though. So (laughs) yeah, I'll let him know you beat beat him to it. He's a good dude. (laughs) So yeah, I I work with Paul a lot. You know, he's a real good friend and he's a a real good dude. And I, I, you know, I'll give him shit later on as we move. (laughs) Moves through, <laughs> yeah. Well, he'll be able, he'll get the last round then because he's recording after you. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But he's nice. So right. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. You know, that I think it's. I've watched some of your guys' videos online. Yeah. Now that we're talking, I, I'm they're they're coming back in my head, and yeah, I really like that piece that you do. It's different than most training, right? It's, you know, you guys have an end goal, but it's not a scripted, right? We see a lot of training that's, it's scripted of this will happen in in this order. And in the end, bad guy, you will do this. It's almost a, a just like real false false success, right? But, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Why do you guys find that type of training is effective? What have you guys seen from that? Because this isn't something we've talked about on the podcast before. Cool. Uh, about Good. that actual no, training. So I, I think that's a let's great open topic. up the door. The reality is that most martial arts are bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, no, that, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> most, most martial arts, you know, the person throws a punch out there, they freeze the punch, you know, and the person does the dance of death. Yes. And with the, the martial arts that are effective are the sport of, you know, combat sports. Yes. So judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, not Japanese jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, Thai boxing, you know, boxing, wrestling. These are the, these are combat sports and they're effective because you're going against a live human being who has free will to do whatever they want to do. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? (laughs) You know, when you're on the street and something goes bad, that person is not following a script. They're doing, they have free will to do whatever they want to do. Right. They're not limited to a certain amount of things and they don't want you to win. And so really the only way you get better is by pressure testing your material and not only your material, not only the, the stuff that you teach. And I think that this is something that I, you know, I'm going to put out there and I'm probably going to get a lot of hate over this, but I, I think that defensive tactics instructors that teach material that they haven't pressure tested in a sportive manner where they're going out and they're trying to win. If they've never pressure, pressure tested that material and they're teaching it, I think that it's malpractice. Absolutely. So we need to know that the stuff that we teach as a defensive tactics instructor actually works. Well, how are we going to know that? Well, you know, some people say, well, it's, you know, you're not going to do this in, in, in sport and you're not going to do that in sport. Well, I can guarantee you this. If I could derive, if you're talking about fish hooking somebody, you know, putting your finger in their <laughs> mouth or, or eye jack or, you know, getting your fingers in their eyes or stuff like that. I could do a much better job at that if I could establish positional dominance, if I could have a time and a maneuver advantage over you. And I could establish positional dominance. Mm-hmm. I could have a much better time at that. So I look at these police videos where police lose in a grapple and we see them all the time. And it, sometimes it ends up being a fatal event where a cop draws a gun and shoots. Right. And, and any blue belt in jujitsu would look at that and go, wow, that would have been fun. I mean, we, it would have never got to, to, to guns or to a taser. They would have been able to control that person, per, perhaps get that person on the ground control that person and handcuff them and never get to the point and probably not breathe hard. Mm -hmm. And 
the, the reason why these things end up escalating is because police cannot establish control. Right. And control starts with positional dominance. And so sport of combat is always looking at positional dominance. And so we need to work. And, and what I was going to say earlier is that not only do we need to work against resist, live resistance with free will, but that tests not only our tactics and our techniques, but it also tests our equipment. Yes. You know, I taught it a rain <laughs> and, you know, I had people come in with these shitty holsters and, and I would tell them straight up, hey, man that holster shit, that plastic clip is going to break. The second you get into like a struggle for that gun, that thing's going to break off. Well, if you don't do that, if you don't grapple with guns in, in holsters, if you don't, you know, if you don't pressure test your equipment, you have no idea whether it's going to work under stress. So not only do we want to pressure test our tactics and our techniques, but we also want to pressure test our gear. Yes. And the only way we could do that is, is live. We can't, we can't restrain, right? We can't restrain people. Does that make right. sense? No, absolutely. No, because, you know, I, with my students, I do that too, you know, going all the way back to beginning what you're saying of, you know, instructors that teach stuff that they never tried or, you know, they, you know, went to a, this course and, and learned it, but, you know, they don't believe in it. They don't train it. They're not, you know, proficient at it. Any technique that I teach my students when they go, yeah, but that wouldn't really, I go, mm, go ahead, do it to me. That I'm going to yeah. prove to you that it works, right? Because I've tested this stuff. I've put it through the ringer and, I found holes and, but you know, I let them know at the same time, like it's not going to work against everybody, but I guarantee you, you know, I'm, I'm going home, you know, I'm, I'm not going to absorb yeah. that damage. And yeah, I mean, you know, have you done Brazilian jiu-jitsu at all? Yes. Yeah. Ever- yeah. So I actively, actually, I will be going here in about three hours to, to class. Awesome. So cool. I, I train every weekly. And um, so how does that feel when you, at your white belt? What's that? I'm a blue belt. Your blue belt. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Okay. Um, blue belts are awesome. <laughs> so I, I think every cop should be a blue belt jujitsu. I'm 59 years old. So, you know, when I, I say that coming from out of, as a retired police officer with a complete full career, I think every cop now, I, I think that they should be doing jujitsu every day in the academy. Not only does it get them in shape, it shows them where they're weak. It strips out ego. But how do you feel when you roll against a black belt or a, or a brown belt and they just toy with you? How does that feel? Yeah, it's right. uncomfortable, right? It's right. Yeah. And you would never know that <laughs> if you do it, right? You right. Would ne- you go, oh, you know, I'd probably do okay. You know, I, 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 hey, you know what? If you've never been in a real fight, and I'm not talking about on the schoolyard. Right. You know, I'm not talking about Billy and Joe in high school go out in the schoolyard and decide that they're going to they're gonna dust it up. I'm talking about an actual real fight. And what we're seeing now with all this video is that all that street fighter stuff, oh, you know, Fred down the block, he's a street, is all bullshit. <laughs> Is that, you know, it's usually a a surprise ambush or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that when you go to jujitsu, that that upper belt, I would imagine that if you have some skilled upper belts in your school, Uh you're not doing anything as a blue belt. They're they're moving you to where they want you to be. And and they're deciding to do whatever (laughs) they want to do to you, whenever they want to do it. And if you do gain any ground, it's because they let you do yes. it. So you get more experience. <laughs> right. So that's the type of control that unless you do it, you have no idea. You just don't understand. And getting and yourself so, into those positions, right? Uncomfortable. Yeah. I remember yeah. for a, lo- a long time, my struggle was keeping the distance and not letting somebody just crush me. So yeah. when we would go into, you know, like an open mat time and, you know, we get to, go, what do you want to work on? I, I tell them, for the next three minutes, I want you to try and crush me just, yeah. and I am going to try to stop you from crushing me. That's it. No submissions, nothing. You just, you try to crush me and I'm going to yeah. try to stop you. And if you yeah. do, then keep going. Cause I'm going to figure out how to create distance. Perfect. And 
it was very uncomfortable in the beginning and it sucked. I mean, I laid under people for three minutes at a time over and over yeah. and over again. But not only did I get comfortable and become safe there, I also learned how to create distance. And yep. now I found a different goal to work on. Right. Yeah. And now guess what? I want this. Guess what? <laughs> because when you start competing against people who are highly skilled, they're still going to crush you, yeah. you know, <laughs> and that brown belt in your school, that's awesome is going to compete against somebody else who's yes. going to crush him. And that black belt, who's your instructor is going to go against somebody who's a, a competitive black belt world champion. Right. And it's going to look like he's a fourth grader. Right. So there's gradation of skill. And the bottom line is that, that if you don't, if you don't train it, you don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And I can make you feel good all day long. You know, I could pat you on the back and give you techniques that theoretically might work because some master from the 18th century taught it. And the reality is that if it hasn't been pressure tested, as in right now, modern times, you know, and you don't know that it works, you're going to be like, you're not going to be confident in it. And you don't know that it works. And quite frankly, that guy's instructor and the guy's instructor and the instructor don't know that it works either. <laughs> right. You know, so for 14 centuries, people don't know that, that you know, so, some monk in China, you know, came up with this technique and everybody <laughs> else is just trusting that technique is going to work. And it never, you know, n- nobody's ever tested it. Whereas, you know, I know a double leg takedown is going to work. Right. I know that if I establish underhooks, I'm going to, I'm going to be in a dominant position. I know that if I can do a, a, an underhook and, and a wrist tie, I'm going to be in a dominant position and I'm going to win a struggle with somebody who has a weapon. So we modify. So I'm not saying jujitsu is the answer because it's not, it's actually a modification of Can you say that one more time? I'm not going to say Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the answer because it's not the answer. Because there's a lot of things in jiu-jitsu that if you do that in a weapons-based environment where either you have a weapon, the bad guy has a weapon, or both of you have weapons, you, if you do that some techniques, you might end up losing control of that weapon. So in other words, if I control your head, so if I do it like a tie clinch at the back of your neck, I'm exposing my waist and your waist. So in other words, if I have a gun on me and I, and this is tie academies all the time where they grab the back of the person's neck and a tie plumb and they drive knees. Well, the problem with that is that you control my waistline and you have access to your own. (laughs) So now you could grab my taser. You could grab my gun. You could grab my knife. You could grab your knife. You could grab your gun. You could grab whatever other tool you have on your waistline because I'm allowing you access to that waistline. If I lock into you like I would in, in a mop, if I lock into you, I lose my mobility. So if there's a third party and they decide they're going to soccer kick me in the side of the head, I don't have that mobility because I'm locked into you. So there's some things in jujitsu that we modify. And it really, you know, because we're starting in, in a vertical space, we really look at wrestling. And specifically, we look at a lot of technique from Greco-Roman wrestling because our main... So we, we have two main goals. And one goal is to monitor the hands. And the other goal is to establish positional dominance. We define positional dominance as anytime we have a time or a maneuver advantage over somebody else. So if I have a time or a maneuver advantage over you, I've established positional dominance. The most positionally dominant place to be in any type of combat, aerial combat, tank combat, or hand is on that person's back. So if I could get around you and get to your back, you have to turn a complete 180 degrees to be able to deal with me. And so now I have positional dominance because I have a time advantage 
And I also have a maneuver advantage because I could drive you forward with all my power and you know, you're not going to be as stable. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. I, I, and I don't know if you did or or not. And, and, you know, you can let the listeners know, I talk about this on an earlier episode of the podcast of that exact topic. And I had you repeat what you said about jujitsu, about it's not the answer. It is a part of the answer, but not the answer Correct. because I, I say it all the time and I could not agree with you more. You know, I had somebody tell me once and, and it kind of changed my views on a lot of stuff. And that I wish people who do jujitsu that are cops would for moments take off their jujitsu blinders and quit looking at everything through jujitsu eyes. Cause if they would see things like that, right. And you hit it perfect with the mount. I right, see a, right. a lot of, a, I see a lot of, of defensive tactics and in these, the, these companies teach police officers that mount is the greatest control position. Mount allows access to your tools to the bad guy. You know police I mean? officer. And you know, then we, then they get into the, well, yeah, but if they grab my gun, well then, you know, I'll just do this. And then the next question that comes out of my mouth is, well, you're okay with bad guy grabbing your gun. Well, yeah. No, I'm not. But you just said, you would put yourself in a position that allows bad guy to grab your gun. Yeah. So then you're okay with it. And they're like, well, you know, I, I think what you were saying about the back is a great one. The only position that I teach from if bad guys on back for control, because of what you were talking about, right? Somebody coming up yeah. and soccer kicking your head yeah. is a knee on belly because that yeah, allows I me full view you're, and, you're, and control. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on that. Yeah. But yeah. you know, outside of that cops, I, I don't teach a side control for a controlling position. I think it's a bad spot. So I would push Mount. back on that a little bit. Yeah, I would push back on that a little bit because I think I think if you do a side control, you know, if you establish side control and you could get to like a reverse case katami, you control their waistline and you control your waistline. And so you could access your tools and and you're in a situation where you're establishing control. I, I don't, you know, so I, you know, I think that the issue is that if we're grounded, I certainly don't want to remain in their guard because... Right. You know, and so I got to go somewhere. And sometimes I'm not going to be able to get right to neon belly. I'm not going to be able to pass and get right to neon belly. So I need to have some sort of transitional space. And sometimes, you know, for me, I could establish control of their hands, which is probably one of the most important things that I could do. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, the, the issue with jujitsu though, and I want to be really clear about this is that if you don't do jujitsu, like if you do jujitsu for police, like if there was a police class for jujitsu, it would be bullshit. Because if I said, okay, hey, listen, I'm only going to teach these five things, you're never going to be able to get right, right? because yeah. <laughs> you, you don't, you know, so I have to teach all of it. I have to teach you stuff that I would take out, you know, that ultimately at some point I might take out because if I start to limit your jujitsu, there's no way you're going to be able to live roll and, uh, and learn anything get because you're going to get, you're going to get killed. Yeah, you're just going to get killed because your game is limited and you're working against somebody who doesn't have a limited game. Right. So ideally, what I would do is I would get somebody to the level of blue belt. I mean, ideally, I'd get somebody to the level of purple belt, but I would ideally get somebody to the level of blue belt. And then I would integrate, you know, and throughout the time, I would integrate um, specific tactics for self-defense because, and we specifically work in a weapons-based environment. And so that modifies our jujitsu, that modifies our standing mm. fight. You know, you, you said something about gaining distance and, and I'll push back on that a little bit too, because we, we're, we've been taught a lot, you know, especially on the range, it's like you hit palm the person, the, the target in the face, and then you go back on an angle and then you draw and you fire. Looks good. Looks good on, the, looks target, good, on the range. It's complete bullshit, right? <laughs> right. Because, because me palming somebody in the face is not going to stop a motivated attack. Correct. Right? They're just going to keep coming. And so now I'm going to end up in a grab. And, and so not very effective, you know? And so the problem with gaining distance in free space, the problem with striking 
is that if I'm in a weapons-based environment and I hit you and I don't knock you out, I just knock you back five steps. I give you time and distance to be able to access a tool like a gun. Okay. And now it's dragons. Now, if you start first, everything has to go well. And I have to get that, that perfect draw and that perfect shot to win. I don't want drag races in weapons based environments. Okay. And so the way that I could control that is that, you know, because I'm close as a police officer, because I'm in, you know, and the interview position is complete bullshit too, because it, it puts you in, it, it, when we talk about, when we talk about positional dominance, generally what we're talking about is the way the person's hips are fixed. Right. So when you think about every sport that involves contact, your hips are facing that person. Yes. So if you're a lineman in football, if you're going to tackle somebody in football, if you're playing basketball and you're defending, if you turn your hips, you're screwed. In MMA, if you lead with one leg, if you step one leg back, you're going to get taken down. You're giving that person that, that leg. So we teach everything with kind of square hips, just like a wrestler, just like a, you know, an MMA fighter. We teach the square hip thing uh, because that's how you put power. You know, the way I describe it is that if you want to push a car, you don't face sideways to the car and kind of shuffle sideways. You face head on and you push. You know, right off the bat, we're teaching officers to give up positional dominance by dropping into that interview stance with the with the falsity that you're protecting that gun. The way you protect the gun is you stay upright and conscious and you monitor that other person's hands. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have good techniques for retaining the gun in the holster, not by using gear to do it, but by using good technique to do it. So there's a lot of things that we found through live training that that we just take as dogma or we as police trainers took as dogma that turns out to be absolutely not true and dangerous, mm-hmm. especially in an environment now. You know, when I was coming up in the 1990s, you didn't have jujitsu people, right? You know, you didn't have MMA fighters. You had like the dumbass street fighters. <laughs> Now I got I now I have a dumbass street fighter who at least at the very least understands what a rear naked choke is and what positional dominance is. Right. Kind of knows how to pass a guard by throwing people's feet. Kind of knows that back mount is pretty cool. They know stuff now that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, they had no idea. We're in a different environment. And then the other issue is that we're in an unequal initiative environment when in any self-defense, including police officer self-defense. We're in an unequal initiative environment. The bad guy always has the initiative. Unless you're in a special unit, unless you're in SWAT, unless you're jumping out to, to, you know, to conduct a drug arrest or a search warrant, you don't have the initiative. The bad guy does. You might think that this guy is going to gonna pop off, but you have no idea when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So you might think it's going to happen, but your confirmation that it's going to happen is when it happens. And most defensive tactics teach from equal initiative. And that's another issue with jujitsu. Is that when you slap hands, bump fists, and you roll, it's equal initiative. You know you're rolling, the other guy knows you're rolling, right? When you get in a fight as a police officer, it's unequal initiative. That person makes the time, you know, they decide the time, they decide the level of violence. I have to be able to fight from unequal initiative. I have to be able to understand what's going on when I'm interviewing that person. And I also need to have some tactics to to keep that person, to give myself, to consistently give myself a tactical advantage. And if I don't even understand what that is, if I have no understanding of what positional dominance, then I'm not going to be, I can't take that, that the tactic right. and turn it into, or I can't take the strategy and turn it into a tactic if I don't even understand the strategy. Does that make sense? No, makes perfect sense to me. Cool.
hopefully it makes sense to the listeners, but no, yeah, I, I think you described that, that perfect, you know, and that's where, you know, a lot of this comes from is you got, you, you have to try this stuff and test it because, you know, what works for you might not work for me. I have different body type, different body size, different equipment, you know, you know, I think I could tell you right now that an underhook is going to work for you and it's going to work for me, you know, but not I against everybody you, is, is what I'm saying is, it's yeah. not going to work against everybody. Right. And mm-hmm. there's little modifications that I'm going to have to make that, yeah, maybe, yeah, that maybe I'm going to have to make, right. Like I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to underhook a 300 pound guy. And take them yeah, down. I think you can. <laughs> you know, I, I think you can. I, I you know, I, I don't mean to be an ass, but I, no. I'm just pushing back. I, I mean, I think if you understand what if you understand what you're doing, then you can. The reason why I'm using an underhook is because I control that person. And it's the same thing as, as controlling jujitsu is that I control that person from his feet all the way up to his armpit. And I'm controlling his access to his waistline. Whereas, as we know, that's where most people keep weapons. Right. So. The reason why I'm establishing that underhook is because if I could dig for an underhook, I could stop you from getting to my waistline. I could stop you from getting to your waistline. And I have a pathway by doing a duck under to get to your back. And once I'm on your back, now I can look at drawing a weapon because you now can't I'm in a safe stop. spot. Right. Yeah. yeah so, no, and I totally agree that getting in the back is well, a, how you know. do you get, you know, how do you get there in a standing position? Well, you got to use wrestling. So you've got arm drag underhook. There's only a few ways you could get to the back when first up standing. You got to get around. And so when I say an underhook, I don't mean that you're holding it for an hour. You know, you're not sitting there negotiating with the person right. while you're holding. You might you might pop, you know, you might pummel in for an underhook, pop that underhook up, do a duck under, get to that person's back. And now I've got, you know, I, I'm controlling their waistline, I'm controlling their hand, and now I drive their head into a wall or I drive them into a police car. And now I have a, a stable position where I could work against them where they can't fight me or it's going to be hard for them to fight. me. And and you can, and it's a safe spot that you can wait. You can let bad guy burn out some energy if you need to. And I think that's a big piece that a lot of law enforcement officers miss is they think, you know, I got to get him handcuffs and they got to get him in handcuffs right this second. Well, no, if you can establish a good dominant position, right. If you can go to their back, let them burn some of their gas tank and then take them to jail. hundred percent. One of the things we find that's very interesting is that one of the things that people say when they take ECQC, which is extremely close quarter concept is Craig Douglas's uh, shivers class. People will say afterwards, man, I got to get in shape. And my response to them is that I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you do. I mean, more than likely you do need to get in shape, <laughs> right. but you're also really inefficient. You're burning a crap ton of mm-hmm. so look at that spazzy white belt and now they're just running you know they're just trying to pass your guard and they're doing everything and they you know and they burn out well you know part of it is you just don't have the skill you just you haven't developed the skill to be able to work efficiently and just remain and, calm. Um, and secondly is yeah you probably need to get in shape it's a little <laughs> bit different you know that the shape that you need to grapple well is a little bit different than you know what you're usually doing mm-hmm. what you're usually talking about it's not just lifting weights the other thing jujitsu gives you is you know back in the day and, and wrestling too you know I, I don't want to you know high school wrestling is is a great self defense art but back in the day there was always this kind of feeling when you were doing martial arts, like you don't know if it's going to work. Right. You're like, eh, I'm not really sure. You know, maybe, I, I, maybe I not. know, you know, maybe that dance of death that my instructor taught me, I think I could probably pull it off, uh-huh. but I don't know. And 99.9% of the time you never get proven. 
you know, it ne- you never have to use it. in wrestling, jujitsu, boxing, Thai boxing, uh, judo, you're testing yourself against a real person all the time. You know, right. like five rounds after a class, you're testing yourself against a real person. You don't guess that it works. You know that it works. Mm-hmm. So most people who take that have a confidence that, you know, like, like I, I find that most upper belts in jujitsu and even in MMA, although, you know, you, you could find some people, they're usually pretty decent people because, you know, first of all, they have to establish that discipline to be, come to class to get to that level. Second of all, they took a lot of beating before they got to that level. Right. And, um, <laughs> and so they were humbled. And that, you know, uh, it, they had to go through that humility in order to, you know, and, and, and kind of live with that and then advance and get better. And they also, there's no false confidence. You know, there's no like, yeah, I could take it. You know, I could do anything. You know, I mean, you get those salty old dogs that are on the street. They're like, oh, yeah, I don't care, kid. You know, I, you know, and the, the kid from the academy is like, well, yeah, I'm sure he's great. You know what? Yeah, he's not. If he doesn't have a heart attack in the middle of some sort of a, a struggle, he's going to get <laughs> right. it probably because he hasn't, you know, he has not only has he not exercised, he hasn't uh, done any combative sport except golf in the last 20 years. And, you know, just being on the street, just responding to, to, to domestic disturbances and getting in a tussle with somebody who doesn't really doesn't want to kick your ass. It doesn't give you it, it. It doesn't give you the ability that you need to be able to survive a determined opponent who's trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, you know, that kind of goes back to, you know, jujitsu also gives you that confidence. And I think that confidence radiates, you know, when somebody is going to mess with you and there's been studies, you know, that police officers who are squared away, who look fit, you know, they're less likely to get into issues. Now, if you're squared away, you look fit and you also exude confidence because you know, you can handle yourself. People don't fuck with you. Right. So that's, I think the other key is this, you've been under fire. You've been grappled. You know, you've been crushed before. You've been in a bad situation before. You've been in a bad position before. So you understand what to do in those times and you can be calm. Whereas somebody who's never been in that situation, they have a hard time being calm. No, I I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I I think you hit some good points in there and, you know, there there are things we've talked about before and in, in the podcast and, you know, with us, today, but, you know, it's from a different view, different perspective of, you know, how that stuff works, you know, and, you know, how do we take that stuff, right? How how do police officers use that stuff and and make themselves safer? And and it's through application of everything you just heard in the past two minutes, right? Uh, You you put that into an application and you put that into a plan and you execute that plan and work through that plan. And in turn, you become safer, you become harder to kill. You, you become harder for somebody to take down and you go home at the end of the day. Well, I, I want to be completely clear too. I, I don't want people to think, oh, okay, well, so I got it. It's just going to take me two years to be a blue belt in jujitsu. Mm. And then I need to go through that process. You don't, you know, I, I mean, Craig Douglas teaches ECQC. I teach, you know, classes similar. The other Shivworks collective people teach similar classes. Mm-hmm. We could get somebody in a weekend. We could take somebody who has no jujitsu, no wrestling experience and get them highly functional in a week in three days of training. Now, long days of training, doing a lot of evolutions. Yes. You're so the way that we the way they teach it is we got we the first thing we teach is managing in if for police, we would call it managing field contacts. So what do you do? How do you manage range? How do you manage positional dominance? How do you talk to somebody? What you know, 
what are you looking for? What body language cues are you looking for intimate attack? So we take them through that and we have them train that. So that's, that contextualizes your defensive tactics. So a lot of times defensive tactics gets pulled out. So you got driver training and then you got shooting and then you got defensive tactics. And all of these things are non-contextual. You know, you're not, you're learning defensive tactics, but you're training against somebody with pads. Right. You're not, you know, or they're holding pads. Right. You're not training against a live human being in the context that you would train it. So we establish the context and then we establish what we want to do, what our goal is. And then we get, we teach you how to get there through, through maybe a drill. So the pummeling drill is something we teach. So usually the first thing we teach is we teach a mountain go drill where you put your hands behind your back, you put your head against the other person's head, and then you try to push that person. <laughs> and what you learn is that if I'm lower than you, if I let my hips get underneath my head. So if I kind of scoop, if you scoop my hips and lean me backwards, you're going to dominate. Right. If you get to the side of my head, you're going to dominate. We start to learn, Hey, what's a good position and why would you want that position? Well, now that completely invalidates the interview position because it falls apart under pressure. Then we teach pummeling. We start to teach, okay, how do we get, how do we start to control the arms? You know, you understand that we want to control the arms, you know, that our goal is, to not try to draw in free space and make mm-hmm. it a drag race. We want to control the arms and get to a position of dominance. Well, how do you control the arms? Well, you control them through wrestling. Well, what's the basic drill for wrestling is pummeling. So we teach you pummeling and we teach it cooperatively and then we teach it competitive. So right. we teach you how to pummel and then we say, okay, now the goal is to get double underhooks. And then I run it for a minute, 30 seconds, two minutes, and you go competitive. Now the goal is... The person's, each person is fighting to get to double underhooks. Then we teach them, okay, what happens when somebody gets double underhooks on you? How do you get out of it? What happens when somebody gets one underhook on you? How do you roll out of it? Right. Um, How do you establish that? Then we tell them, okay, we know how to get to an underhook. Now we want to do a wrist tie or a bicep tie. How do we do that? And then we, how do we break from it? And then we (laughs) work it live. And so we keep on isolating, working it live and integrating live. Right. So they're constantly getting work against a resisting person. Well, by the end of a weekend, you're pretty good at getting to a gun in a grab. You know what you need to do. You understand, you know, we teach basically four or five techniques. You understand what you need to do. And you actually demonstrate it against the person who's trying to kick your ass. And, and that's the validation of the method. Yes. And that's where I would say, yeah, you might have individual differences, but they're not that individual. You're not a, that much of a special snowflake where <laughs> I completely alter a technique. You know, if my goal is to control your arms, then I have only a few ways I could do it. And just grabbing your wrist is probably not, you know, both of your wrists is not going to do right. it, you know, but an underhook where I'm latching onto your, un, underneath your arm and I'm driving my head against the side of your head, that's going to work on a 300 pound guy and it's going to work on a 110 pound. So as long as I work it under resistance with mm-hmm. varying people and we always switch partners all the time, now, you know, it works on a bunch of different people. So that's sort of the way these classes go. And so I don't, I, I, I don't want to tell people, oh yeah, you got to do jujitsu. Now, after somebody takes this class and after they maybe have some success against multiple subjects, or maybe they don't have success and they just get their ass kicked, <laughs> um, then they say, well, okay, cool. I kind of get what I need to do. How do I get better at doing this? Then my prescription is, you know, exercise, run, (laughs) weights, 
and to just, you know, that's your shortest path to getting better at this. And, and so we have a framework that we work under that modifies jujitsu. And actually it's more of a wrestling base. The way that we, that, you know, our kind of our entry point is a, is a three-day class called ECQC. And then most people use that ECQC class after the first time they take it as an audit of skills. So they go out, they start a jujitsu class, they start to train, and then they come back in a year and they do better. Try it again. So yeah, they try it again. All right. So one of the classes we teach is fighting inside of a cop. And I teach it to narcotics officers all the time. When I was running a narcotics unit, I would run my guys through it. We have them wrestle in a cop. Our, our guys did dope buys in cars all the time. I mean, that was the primary mode. Primary way that we bought dope was inside of a vehicle. And you were in the driver's. So what we find just by having guys wrestle is that if you try to draw the gun, you're going to lose because the other person gets positional dominance. They basically knee ride over you or they get on top of you. They can use the surface of the vehicle to press you into the car. Mm -hmm. And now, even if you have your hand on the weapon, you really can't get it out. So that time that you take to try to draw that weapon actually gives them time to establish positional dominance. And they have gravity and the surfaces of the car they could use to put pressure against you. So we start to learn in a microcosm of a vehicle, we start to learn, hey, if I'm focused on that weapon, then I'm going to lose. To the point where I put a sim gun, or the first thing I start out with with a training gun, I put it in the center council, and I have two guys in a car, they sit there with their hands on their their, uh, quads, and I go. And the person who reaches for the gun loses. Oh, I bet. 100% yeah. of the time. 100% <laughs> of the time. Now, if the gun goes into the wheel well, you're never going to get it. Or the footwell. So if the gun gets knocked in the footwell, you're not going to get it. So I'd ask undercover guys. I'd be like, hey, where do you keep your gun when you're doing it? Oh, I keep it under the seat. You will never get it. You will never get it. You know how I know? Because I've done it hundreds of times. <laughs> I've seen people do it hundreds of times. You know, you carry in the four o'clock position on your body. You will never get to that weapon. If you get pressed into the vehicle, you'll never get to the weapon. If you're carrying at three o'clock, you're probably going to get caught up. So if you're not carrying appendix, you find, you know, we like appendix carry. We like it because I can get to it when I'm in a close quarter situation, when I'm grappling, I can protect, you know, our, that microcosm of being inside a car gives you some universal truths. Mm-hmm. And those universal truths are, is if we're tool focused, which, you know, when I started as a police officer, we didn't have that many tools. You know, we barely had a freaking radio. I mean, <laughs> when I started, I had to turn the external speaker on in my, in my car, on the interstate. And I had to run back to the car to transport. So I could yeah. hear the, the <laughs> I mean, we didn't have computers. We didn't have any of this. I mean, it sounds like I'm, you know, I was riding horses. And <laughs> horses but it was 1990. Right. It was a different time. So we had a baton, we had a gun, and later on we got peppers, which I barely ever used. And we never had taser. We never had less than lethal munitions. We got them later on when I was on SWAT. We got less than lethal munitions. It started out with a shotgun with a beanbag round. Right. You know, that we hit a guy with three times and he still shot at us and shot at us. <laughs> right. We had to solve situations without tools. And I think that this tool focus, this focus on these tools, these focus on getting to the gun, you know, Hey, my martial arts cha-ching, you know, and I, I just, I, I racked the slide of my gun. Yeah, that's funny, but it's not true. You have to get to the gun and that's a fight. And actually that's probably the majority of the fight. Yep. Nope. I, I totally agree. And that's what I tell my guys all the time too, is, you know, you, you got to fight to get to a position to get to those Tool. You can't just go to those tools. That's where defensive tactics comes in. Yeah. Defensive tactics allows you to get to a safe, keyword being safe, space to utilize those tools. Like I said earlier, you know, 
the time to pull your gun isn't when you're getting punched in the face. Yeah. When you're getting punched in the face, that's the time to protect yourself from getting punched in the face. Yeah. You're in the wrong fight. Yes. <laughs> right. You're in the uh, wrong, you know, and you know, sadly we see it all the time and that's where most police officers that do get their weapons taken away are they're pulling out that stuff at the wrong time in the wrong situation. Yeah. We, we call that a timing error. Yeah. And, and it, it's one of the biggest errors that we see. It's a time. So part of the timing error is that I get the gun out and I float it away from my body. Well, now I lose muzzle discipline and I lose control of that weapon. So mm-hmm. it could get knocked out of my hand. You know, you go for that gun while that person still has their, you know, they're in front of you and they lunge for the gun. And as you're drawing it, you know, it gets knocked to the ground. We see that all the time. You lunge for the gun. They put one hand on your hand and stop you from doing it. And they start pounding you in the face with their fist or the elbow. We see that happen all the time. It's, right. it, we call that a timing error. Not only do I have to be able to draw the gun, but I need to orient the muzzle in a safe direction where I'm not going to shoot myself. And I could put effective rounds on that person, which right. are not going to be A zone hits. I'm not going to get A zone hits in a grab. It's just not going to happen. Right. I, and if I don't know where the muzzle is, if I don't have a retention position that I know where the muzzle is, like the retention position they used to teach at Illinois State Police was kind of like that, that, that waist level, you know, your, your arm is kind of pinned to your side. Uh-huh. Well, you have no idea where that muzzle's pointed. It could right. be pointed up, down. <laughs> you have no idea. And if you put your hand out and you're trying to control that person with your hand, you might shoot yourself in the hand. So now the fact that we have to grapple and the fact that we're usually grappling upper body and trying to control limbs you know, we're looking at a thumb pectoral index where I had, you know, I'm locking my wrist I'm at a high thumb pectoral index where I know that the muzzle is oriented down at a 45 degree angle and I'm right. not getting a zone hits, but I'm getting hits in the hips and, you know, potentially in the legs, but I'm also not shooting innocent bystanders either. I could diminish that person with those rounds and then, you know, and then protect, perhaps I can make space and start putting rounds in the A zone. But, but these are things that just haven't been taught to police and, and you know, it needs to start happening now. And a big piece of that is, is, you know, we won't name any names, but there's programs out there that have been around since before all this modern fighting stuff that agencies are, are still trying to rely on because they're not evolving their defensive tactic systems. Yeah, I think a, a large part of it is, and I can speak probably a lot freer than you do. I won't get you sued though. But a lot of it is, is uh, uh, a lot of it is liability. You know, oh, we right. have this yeah. program, and you know, we don't injure our people. Well, I could tell you something that that you know, when you train and you're training realistically, there's potential of injury. And if there's no potential of injury, then what you're training is bullshit. Sorry, it is. You know, and and you know, we need to kind of ride that fine line. And you know, they want a system where somebody could come in and say, and testify on the stand that, Oh, we taught this system and this person didn't follow it because he punched the person in the face. Therefore, blah, 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 blah. Right. It's a liability thing. Progressive chiefs, progressive administrators should be looking at protecting their police officers and protecting the public. And, you know, I think the last three years should probably be a clue right. that we need to get our acts together. And, you know, I retired as a Lieutenant on the Illinois state police and I can tell you that Illinois State Police is a highly progressive agency. Their defensive tactics was the way it was taught and how it was taught was bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it was liability. And it was that, you know, I got 50 guys, you know, the 40 year old dudes are sitting in the back reading a newspaper. You know, I mean, I could engage them, you know, and I could, you know, I, I was confident enough where, but there were a lot of instructors who didn't have experience, 
you know, they went, you know, they did martial arts or they did jujitsu or they wrestled in high school and then they became DT instructors, but they're not instructors and they're right. not, they right. don't have the ability yeah. to hold the room. And you got guys reading newspapers in the back, you know, and, and they're punching that, that DT card. So four times a year, three times a year, they needed to do DT. And so they did one rep and that was it. Or the, the guys who were higher rank were able to get the guy to come in to do private class and, you know, not saying that happened, but you know, and it's sad that they do things like that with something that could save their life. Yeah. Well, dude, <laughs> we had command officers, you know, when I was on SWAT, we had command officers that didn't want to go through like, like, like a school to command critical incidents because uh-huh. they didn't want to look back. Yeah. And we had a couple of critical, like critical, critical incidents <laughs> lasted forever. And and we showed how poorly our leadership was trained. Sorry, Illinois State Police. But we showed how poorly <laughs> our leadership was trained to deal with that. I think we learned from that. But at the time, you know, we had certain people that were experts at, at you know, at that. And then we had other people that, that, that just, you know, had no idea what they were doing. They were changing rules of engagement. They were doing... Because they didn't want to do pressure testing of their right. training. Because they didn't want to... <laughs> they look so bad in the real world. <laughs> right. And in jiu-jitsu, you always look bad. When right. you're a white belt, you're going to look bad. You're going to get your ass kicked. And so that humility and that, that the, you know, stripping away the ego is huge. And, you know, it's like, like, like one of the reasons why we don't have a, a very, a huge base with police. And I think we can offer police a lot of stuff is because of training budgets and liability. And it's going to take a progressive apartment department that wants to potentially take a risk that, you know, and, and we, I, you know, I mean, we have minor little bumps and bruises, but you know, we very rarely do we have some, and we've never had any, you know, right. Like severely injured, but you know, I mean, we're shooting SIM guns at contact range, right. You know, it's clearly outside the guidelines, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you're not going to learn if you don't do it. And when we shoot SIM guns at contact range, we're not wearing body. Armor. We're, you know, if you take a round in the stomach, you're going to feel it. You know, right. there's going to be a mark and, you know, but your officers are going to be a lot more confident. They're going to have to use force less because they're going to be a lot more competent and they're going to be able to establish control a lot sooner in a situation because they're a lot more competent. And I would argue that because they're confident, they're going to be able to use verbal de-escalation a lot more effectively because they're not going to be, they're not going to be over, you know, they're not going to be on the slippery slope of the bell curve right. where they're way over the, their stress level. Because they know they can handle the situation if it goes back. You know, a lot of these things, you see these cops, horrible control. And they start to lose it way too early because they're not used to interpersonal violence. Right. You yeah, know, one of the things is like... Pressure testing their stuff. And for the bad guys pressure test their stuff live all the time. Right. You know? Yeah. We've had, I, I don't know, over a thousand shootings in the city of Chicago. We've had, you know... 600 people murdered in the city of Chicago. The bad guys are getting a lot of real world experience. And the cops, you know, the way I kind of look at it is that, you know, you got a kid who grows up in a fractured home. They're moving every, you know, month, every three months, every four months. They're living with different people. They're getting abused when they're little kids. Their friends are shot. They're stabbed. They are habitualized to violence at an early age. And then you got a kid who wants to be a cop and he wants to do good. He wants to be a good person. He wants to help his community. So he goes to college. And you know what? We screen him out as a police officer. If he gets in a fight, we're going to go, ooh. You know, he. there's a police report where he was involved in a bar fight. So 
So here's a guy with real world experience. We're going to screen him out. Right. Unless he's in the military. But if, you know, even in the military, you know, so we screen out any antisocial behavior or any behavior that would look violent. And then we start to teach these guys, you know, that they need to deescalate, deescalate, don't use violence, don't use violence. So, so they never get habituated to violence. And then now they meet that kid who grew up in a violent environment their whole lives. Who do you think is going to dominate that situation? I mean, the kid who's never seen violence in his life, never experienced violence, or the kid who experienced a hyper-violent event like six hours ago. And knows the confidence to push through those hard times. 100%. So our training needs to reflect reality. It can't be a, a check a box liability. It's got to reflect reality. Nope. And, uh, you know, if we're not doing it, if we're not doing live training, if we're not pressure testing our material, then we're, we're we are being incompetent as trainers. It's as plain as I can put it. Cause I don't have to sell myself. So I can say yeah. whatever. No, I that's great. You know, and I think that's a, a good spot to end this week's podcast is, is just that right? Pressure test your stuff. I do want to have you you back on as we're talking. I'm, I'm looking through your stuff, but I see us talking another hour on this one. So we'll, cool, we'll save this. We'll save this for another one, but I would really like to talk about the vehicle combatives piece in a future episode, because that, that's something we haven't talked about in, and you hit briefly on it today. You know, I'd invite you back to, to speak on that and, and, you know, ask the listeners to, to be looking out for that one. Cause I, I think that's a great topic to that isn't talked about. And frankly, officers don't train on that. And, and nope. we'll see it. But I, I couldn't agree with you more, you know, pressure test your techniques, your training, because that's where the, the true, is this going to work and how am I going to react come yep. out? Yep. And your equipment, you know, I mean, yes. if your agency gets a new, you know, triple retention holster, <laughs> pressure test it and see if you can get it out under pressure. And your retention techniques. Yeah. Yep. So, cool. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on. You got any, uh, Absolutely, bro. And last, last, uh, words for, for them as we depart for today's recording? Yeah, I would say, you know, I, the last thing I would say is that, that the people don't do this if it's drudgery. It's got to be fun. You have to have right. a good instructor. It has to be fun. You have to, you know, there has to be camaraderie. So, it, it, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, I want to come off as like, you know, you have to be the Terminator. You know, you don't. <laughs> you need exposure to this information. You know, you are going against mobs who don't, you know, who don't train either, you know, 99% of the people that we're running against, yes. you know, they don't train either. I, I, I think that if we're going to train, if we're saying that we, we need to train, we need to seek out realistic training. I would encourage you to look up Shivworks, Shivworks Collective, look at the classes that, that these people teach. They're going to be the most realistic. And, you know, I, they're, they're, if somebody's touched this material, you know, or come at it at a different, you know, in a different way, great. But it needs to be pressure tested. It needs to be live. It needs to be against a resisting person that has free will. Uh, at your, least a portion of it. And yeah. your website is shivworks.com. Yeah. If you just Google Shivworks, you're run right into it. And, and there's a ton of you're also on social ton media. Of, yeah. And, and there's a ton of social media and Facebook and you know, all sorts of stuff. Awesome. Well, sir, I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you talking, uh, sharing your knowledge and experience with the listeners. As I do every week, I remind all of our listeners to get out there and train, get out there and be better for yourself, be better for your family, be better for your friends, and most importantly, be better for those that you interact with in your communities.
That's it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to subscribe and share with a friend so you never miss an episode of Force Multiplier for law enforcement. Another way that can help us grow and reach more listeners and agencies is by leaving us a review. They are read and the feedback is taken on how to make this podcast even better to reach our community and different law enforcement agencies. 